The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello, my beloved listeners. Oh my gosh, it's been a while. We get a long Christmas vacation here at Unity Online Radio, but we are back with a brand new year. Happy Martin Luther King Day and happy January. You know, I said to my husband on New Year's Eve, this is one of the few years, maybe the first year, that I thought was so great that I didn't feel like getting rid of that nasty old year and having a new one. The old one could have just kept on for a while, which is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. I hope that was how you felt, letting go of 2013 and welcoming this fabulous new year of 2014. Oh, my goodness, there's so, so much going on, and so much of it is great. Don't you love what is happening to SeaWorld? That as a result of the documentary Blackfish, every kind of entertainer is canceling their SeaWorld concerts. I just love it. And especially when it's a country singer, because, you know, we've all been told, oh, well, you know, you vegans, you animal people, you're like people from Berkeley or something. Sure, we're from Berkeley, we're from New York City, we're from Austin, and we are for every other from every other nook and cranny of this country because it is time for compassion to have its day and this is its day, and this is its year, and we're going forward. So just to catch you up really quickly before I bring on our extra special guest today, 
Dr. T. Colin Campbell. I know, I know, nutrition rock star. And you're going to be hearing from him right here and talking with him right here. If you want to give us a call later, 888-558-6489. But before I bring on Dr. Campbell, I just want to catch you up on a few things that are happening over here at Main Street Vegan. On the personal level, when I spoke with you last, we had a foster kitty. We were taking care of a little kitty who was named Ivy and then Iver, anyway, ended up being named by his forever mom, Beaker, like Beaker from Sesame Street. And Beaker has gone to his forever home. We met forever mom, Allison Kiro, through a Facebook friend. And I have to say, if social networking can overthrow governments, it can also get homes for little stray kitties. So that is a happy ending story. I also have some extremely exciting news from the Main Street Vegan Universe, and that is that Mary Lou Henner, the fabulous actor, radio host herself, longtime vegan, has agreed to play the leading role in our film, Miss Liberty. Oh my gosh, we are so excited. There's a ways to go, but that is a wonderful, wonderful development. You can check out Miss Liberty at MainStreetVegan.net and just check on Miss Liberty and you can hear the theme song and, and read a little bit about the movie to be. And oh my goodness, if you're a praying person, please pray that this movie goes from being a wonderful screenplay to being a magnificent film that changes the world and helps out a whole lot of cows. And while you're in the mood for being helpful... If you enjoy this Main Street Vegan radio show, and I presume you do or you wouldn't be here, there is actually something that you can do to help us out. Now, I've got to share with you my vision. My vision is that one of these days, more people will listen to Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio than today listen to Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh combined. How's that for a great big giant vision? And one way that we can bring that about and get the word out about this wonderful way of eating and living would be if you would go to iTunes and just tell those iTunes people that you think this is a five-star show and give us some great comments and tell people why you listen and why they ought to listen to. So it's not complex. You just go into iTunes and it'll lead you what to do. And if you can do either or or both, a five-star ranking, a great comment, or all of the above, I'd be really, really appreciative. And that comes from the heart. Now, there are wonderful things. As I said, the blog at Main Street Vegan is just going crazy. J.L. Fields, the wonderful J.L. Goes Vegan, she's a great blogger, has kind of taken it over. And it's become a whole Main Street Vegan Academy blog. So there's so much to read. So exciting. We've got the Main Street Vegan Cruise happening a year from now. You can check that out at MainStreetVegan.net. We'll have the baker and chocolate expert, Fran Costigan. Along for that, we'll have the wonderful Will Tuttle of the World Peace Diet 
and the brilliant Michael Greger, MD. That is all cool. You can sign up for that now. But I do need, just before we introduce Dr. Campbell and get going with this most elucidative program, I need to share with those of you who perhaps don't know yet that the vegan movement has lost a giant and that is Mr. Rin Berry, Professor Rin Berry. Rin taught history at the New School for Social Research for much of his career. And more recently, he has been on the faculty of Main Street Vegan Academy because Rin has long been regarded as the historian of the vegan and vegetarian movement. He's the author of wonderful books, famous vegetarians and their favorite recipes, food of the gods. This is about vegetarianism and world religions. And Rin unfortunately passed away as a result of uh, complications of asthma early this month. And Rin, I learned so much from you. I learned that if I were able to translate the New Testament from the Greek as you did, that we would all know that the miracle of the loaves and the fishes is really the miracle of the loaves and tahini. I explained this in detail, quoting Rin all the way in the obituary that I wrote for him and sent out on the Main Street Vegan newsletter. If you don't get that, just go to the MainStreetVegan.net site and click on subscribe. It'll tell you that you'll get a free little e-guide about vegan stuff. Just click there. You'll get the newsletter. And if you do want to see that um, obituary to Rin Berry, just drop my assistant an email and he'll send you out a copy. His name is Daniel, and the email is dortiz at MainStreetVegan.net, D-O-R-T-I-Z at MainStreetVegan.net. And if you didn't get a chance to meet Rin or hear him speak, you can learn a lot about him and get a lot of his wisdom by reading one of his wonderful books. Now, we are about to bring on the author of another wonderful book, in fact, two wonderful books and a legendary nutrition pioneer and plant-based vegan researcher. Now, here are the phone numbers. I'm going to give them to you in advance. And I also want to say, if you call with a question, keep it short, because people have emailed in questions already. It seems like everybody on earth would like to get a question answered by Dr. T. Colin Campbell. The toll-free number is 888-558-6489. That's 888-558-6489. And if you are outside of the United States of America, you can still give us a call, 816-347-5519. We'll be back after these messages with the illustrious Dr. T. Colin Campbell. You are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? 
and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody, and I will waste no time in bringing on the man of the hour or the man of the rest of the hour, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Ph.D. He's been on the front line of nutrition research for over half a century. He was lead researcher in the Cornell Oxford Beijing University research known as the China Study, cited by the New York Times as the Grand Prix of Epidemiology. The international bestseller, The China Study, co-authored by his son, Thomas Campbell, M.D., has been a perennial bestseller since its publication in 2005. Dr. Campbell is the Jacob Gould Sherman Professor Emeritus of Nutritional Biochemistry at Cornell University, Director of the Plant-Based Nutrition Certificate Program through the eCornell platform and Director of the T. Colin Campbell Foundation. His latest book is whole 
Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. Welcome, Dr. Campbell, to Main Street Vegan. It's a pleasure being on your show, Victoria. Very nice. Uh, Thank you. Well, it's just so delightful to be talking with you. We go way back. I don't know if you remember that in the 1990s, when I was going to China, you connected me with that charming gentleman who was part of the China study. And we actually went to dinner and, and he was talking to me about the study from the Chinese point of view. So uh, we've come a long way. Oh, was that Dr. Chen Zhongshu? It was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good friend of mine. Uh, What a guy. Well, I believe that almost everybody listening to our show knows precisely who you are and has probably read at least one of your books, if not both. But I kind of look at life like an AA meeting, and they always say the most important person is the newcomer. So for that person who is not familiar with the China study, who is not familiar with Whole, just give us some of your background, your early work, and how you got to know all this about nutrition. Well, the China study, that's the title of the book, of course, is a summary uh, of my career in uh, experimental research in large literature, but also my experiences involved in food and health policy development over the years. Uh, The book was co-authored with my son, Tom, who at the time was a, an actor in Chicago and then decided to go back to med school because they got excited about this information. He since has finished his medical degree and now is working closer with me as the director of our executive director of our foundation, now called Center, by the way. But in any case, the China study is a summary of what I had been doing for the last, for the three or four decades before that with many students and uh, graduate students and postdocs and fellow professors. Um, it was a summary, in a sense, of what I thought I had come to know. And where I started was very different from where, where I ended. I started you know, coming from a farm, a dairy farm. Uh, and then professionally, as far as my, doctor was, my doctoral research is concerned and my early uh, faculty positions, uh, I was out really to, in a sense, uh, show how important protein really is for our health especially so-called high-quality protein uh, that comes from animal-sourced foods. That was my beginning. That's what I was taught. That's what I began to teach my own students. But along the way, through the years, uh, involving work in the Philippines and, of course, back in the laboratory with many students and so forth, I came to know that what I thought I knew was, in fact, almost the opposite, that uh, basically... um, high-protein consumption, especially protein from animal-based foods, had a problem. And our first observation, which was really quite remarkable that we worked on for, quite frankly, about 27 years, uh, was the idea that uh, when we, when experimental animals, for example, consumed um, higher levels of casein, which is the main protein of cow's milk, it turned on their cancers. It, it turned on the growth of their cancer. These were animals that had been exposed to a carcinogen, and so it was really a very potent promoter of cancer. This is very odd because it was, although it was similar to what I thought I saw in the Philippines, it was still very odd. To, the idea that high protein intake might turn on cancer. So that was the start of uh, this journey, if you will. But through the years, we expanded that way beyond those early studies and began to look more fundamentally at the relationship between nutrition in a broader sense. 
involving other nutrients as it relates to the uh, development of various and sundry diseases, other cancers, other diseases. And so as the story expanded over the years, it became even more prominent than that first observation. Uh, this involved uh, human studies and finally culminating in a study in China where we basically surveyed um, a total of about 130 villages across China, uh, villages that had very different rates of getting different kinds of cancers. And so we went there to collect blood samples and urine samples and food samples and other kinds of information. And I was particularly interested at that point in time to see whether there were combinations of factors that might relate particularly well to some of these developments, some of these kinds of diseases. I'd come to the view more or less at that time that focusing on one nutrient at a time, causing one kind of outcome at a time, uh, was a little bit too narrow-minded, uh, a little bit too reductionist, as I now say. Uh, and I was particularly interested in looking at the patterns of nutrient consumption that could relate to these disease outcomes. And of course, patterns of nutrient consumption really relate to the consumption of foods, obviously, each of which have you know many, many, countless different kinds of nutrients. And so uh, we then wrote the book, Tom and I wrote the book um, and published it in 2005 to see if I couldn't describe what I thought I had come to know. Um, and uh, I, I was reasonably confident that by the time we got done writing the book that you know, what I was saying, of course, was, was reliable. Uh, but since the book was published... Um, it, it, in a sense, it kind of exploded uh, because in the book, I didn't want to preach about this idea. So what we re really said was that uh, you don't need to believe me in all the science that I'm talking about here, but uh, just try it. And so lots of people tried it and they saw the results. And of course, as a result of that, they started telling others. And so the book did, in fact, become a bestseller and continues to be so even today. People telling others, and that's all based on individual readers sort of trying this out for size and getting the results they get. Now, having said all of that, I want to make clear, though, that uh, also there were others in this field working at the same time, particularly clinicians, that I uh, treasured their relationship, uh, Dr. Esserton, Dr. John McDougall, and others, uh, Dr. Bernard, and, and uh, Dr. Popper, uh, I knew in the early days. Um, and uh, they were actually working with patients, uh, not necessarily from my background, but uh, working in the clinic and showing that, that food, basically whole, uh, whole plant-based food, I should say, without adding back a lot of salt, sugar, and fat, that that kind of diet really had remarkable properties to do things and to do it rather quickly. And so coming back to my background in science, coming to this point of view, I, I really then became quite enthused about not only what we had written in the China study, but actually even far more. But there was a lingering question uh, in all of this um, that I had in my mind, and I think others did too, and that was, you know, why haven't we heard this before? What, what's really behind this? And so I wanted to explore that question, you know, because I have a quite an interest in history. And by the way, uh, Professor Rin Berry, a friend of mine, I always valued his relationship because he also talked a great deal about historical events associated with this movement. But in any case, I, I uh, wanted to explore this question, not necessarily from the standpoint of, you know, all the deniers of this information, the indices that are opposed to this kind of thing, but rather from a, more, a little more philosophical and scientific point of view. 
deceitful is something that, by, by the way in which we think about food and think about health, um, that might be, let's say, influencing us as a society, regardless what part of the society we represent. And so when I was writing the book Whole, uh, I came up with this idea. It's not a new idea, I must emphasize. It's very Greeks, and that is the fact that uh, countless nutrients work through countless so-called biochemical mechanisms to produce countless effects. And as a result of all that, um, that's a concept that I refer to as holism, incidentally spelled with a W. Uh, the typical spelling is H-O-L-I-S-M. I wanted to put the W in the front because I wanted to emphasize that when you look at how nutrients work within the body, within cells, and, and so forth, you see this amazing, almost awesome uh, display of countless things working in a, an extraordinarily dynamic way, in a highly integrated way, you know, to create the kind of health we all enjoy. So that's in a thumbnail sketch, if you will, of, of my 50-plus years of, of work in this area. Well, I commend you on getting 50 years into such a succinct answer. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, Dr. Campbell, I just want to jump in with some of the real-world stuff, and we do have quite a few questions that people have emailed in in advance. And anybody listening who'd like to call and ask your question live, it's 888-558-6489. Now, I spoke earlier about Rin Berry. You mentioned him as well. We both will, will miss him. Now, this is a controversial question, but I think it's so much on the minds of, of people who embrace this way of eating and living. Here was a very health-conscious and athletic man who'd eaten a whole foods, plant-based diet for 30 years, and yet he died at the age of 68 of apparent complications of asthma. Now, to me, the way he lived kept him so healthy that I knew him pretty well and never even knew he had asthma. But when someone who eats this way passes away before they're really ancient, there's this kind of little underlying scuttlebutt of, oh, gosh, you know, he didn't live to be really, really old. So how can we share the good news about the whole food plant-based diet without setting ourselves up as immortal superhumans? Well, the first thing I would say uh, is basically my enormous respect for Wren. I knew him not really well, but I worked with him for three or four, on three or four occasions at different meetings. Um, he was a very impressive man, very dedicated, and I particularly liked his uh, work in the historical context. Uh, but let me also say this, too, that as far as Wren is concerned, um, he's one individual. And as far as the science is concerned, um, when we talk about you know what we think we have come to know, Science is based on looking at large numbers of people, large numbers of outcomes, large numbers of causes. And so science, as far as the results or findings are concerned, is basically um, the preponderance of evidence. It's not the kind of evidence that's necessarily going to apply to every single person all the time. That's not the way it works. But if, if it applies to, let's say, 9 out of 10 people or 19 out of 20 people, uh, that's a pretty good record. And it's good enough for us to make decisions for ourselves. And, of course, there are going to be individuals from time to time are going to get the unexpected, you know, in spite of the fact that they presumably did everything right. We, don't, we just don't know, you know, why these occasional uh, events uh, tend to occur. 
Uh, in Ren's case, I know it was said that he had complications from asthma, which suggests to me that this is something a little bit different maybe than just from the food that he was consuming. I mean, we have allergenic responses that can come from various subject sources, and they're hard to pinpoint. They're hard to find. And who knows? Maybe that kind of thing, you know, really got involved in this case, for, unfortunately, for Ren and, you know, caused his, his difficulty. But as far as um, this general message is concerned, it, for me, it does not, in fact, in any way detract from the message we're talking about because this message, as I said already, it applies on balance to the vast number of people really, really well. And I, we, we can't take one person's uh, you know, situation out of context, whether that person happens to be supporting our particular point of view or, or opposing our point of view. We can't do no, that either way. That's, that's just the way it is. And, that's right. And, and so I guess on the other side of that is the guy who ate nothing but pork products and drank vodka <laughs> and lived to be 102, right. the other Absolutely. end of the bell curve. Well, thank Absolutely. you. You described that beautifully. And bringing in the science, this is one of the things that I just want to put in a plug for the Plant-Based Nutrition Certificate Program. This is an online program. You can find information at nutritionstudies.org. And it's such a fabulous course. I took it myself and have so much more of an understanding of the science behind what we think we know and also some of the policy issues about what the FDA does and what the USDA does. It's a very enlightening program, and I, I recommend it to anyone now, you mentioned, I believe it was in Forks Over Knives, a, a dollar figure that our country would save on health care costs if vast numbers of people were to start eating the way you and I do. I don't know if you recall that exact figure, but I'm very interested in how a change in diet on a large scale could make this health care crisis we're all hearing about less of a crisis. Well, it's a great question. It's one I'm keenly interested in at the present time, especially regarding the so-called debate that we've been having in, the, in our country for the last three or four or five years that led to the Obamacare plan in particular. Um, the, the information, um, I forget what I was starting after. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the, the percentage, that's what you wanted to know. I'm sorry about that. Um, it turns out that if we look at the proportion of total deaths, or even for that matter, the total number of incident cases, the total number of deaths and, and portion them out to the various kinds of diseases like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, whatever, um, it turns out that for, let's say, heart disease, to pick the one that's the leading cause of death, for heart disease, now we know that at least 95%, I'm going to say it's close to 100% of people with serious heart disease, that can be stopped and even reversed with this kind of diet. Now, this means that we can actually not only prevent heart disease, we can actually reverse it and treat people with this. So if we're taking, let's say, be conservative, 90% of all heart disease cases can be prevented and cured if, in fact, they happen to get the heart disease with this approach. That's 90% of, let's say, 40 or 50% of the people who you know, acquire that, that problem. And then you can take cancer. Uh, the figures aren't quite as good as that, but you can take diabetes. Very impressive. Again, 
And you just run these numbers. The percent of each of these diseases, which in turn is a, you know, a specified proportion of the total number of disease events, the figure I end up with, and this is a conservative figure, is at least 70 to 75% of all the disease occasions that we experience can be prevented. Or if they do occur, they can be treated with this particular approach. That is a basically a nutritional approach to uh, controlling disease occurrence. And so this 70 to 75% figure I'm talking about um, is real. It's really based on real evidence that we now have. And if we say that's more or less equivalent to the health care costs, in other words, health care costs are going to um, portion, you know, be more or less equivalent to the relative amounts of the different diseases, uh, I think there's 70 to 75% figure. We could save 70 to 75% of our total health care costs if only we were uh, able to use the kind of nutrition that you and I talk about. Because it, now we know what the science is. We know what the practical implications and the findings really are when people really try this. And yet, at the same time, as far as these proposals that have been made in recent times from both sides of the political spectrum, for example, these proposals that have been put forth, none of them even mention, seriously at least, they certainly do not mention what nutrition can do. And so if my argument in this particular case is that um, if we could just inform the public about this, or if the authorities could inform the public about what nutrition can do, and as I say, it's not just about preventing future diseases, but also about treating existing problems. If we just inform the public of this, I am confident we could save 70 to 75% of our health care costs, and it could happen very rapidly. The response that we see in in people who actually may have problems of one kind or another, put them in this diet, the response begins to appear within days, certainly within weeks. I mean, it really is dramatic, and it's uh, unfortunately in our current state of affairs now in this country, we're just we're 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 taking a path and more or less accept accepting the norm of using drugs and procedures as a means to create health. That's not going to work. It's much too costly. It's not helping. What we need to do is have a whole new, fresh look at what really does work and then simply inform the public about this information. That is so exciting. I know my husband and I are going to a debate tonight about Obamacare. We were introduced to these debates from a a group called Intelligence Squared here in New York City because Dr. Neil Barnard and Gene Bauer did um, a debate there a couple of months ago about uh, plant-based eating. So now I'm going to go see um, what the world out there is thinking about the affordable health plan and I'll just bet anything nobody talks about eating vegetables but I'll let you know we'll be back right after the break if you want to give a call the number is 888-558-6489 more after this with Dr. T. Colin Campbell Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. 
My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth-seeking? If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. My guest is Dr. T. Colin Campbell, author, co-author of The China Study and of Whole, which is a wonderful, wonderful book. I really loved reading Whole. It was one of those books that I would stay up with too late at night just to, to get through a chapter. We were talking before the break about healthcare in this country and all the concerns there. And what I want to ask you, Dr. Campbell, I can name probably 10, maybe 12 physicians, probably about that many dietitians off the top of my head who espouse a whole foods plant-based diet. And I'm sure there are hundreds that I don't know, but there aren't thousands that I don't know. Why are we so small? We've got this information that is so exciting. You're talking about how it could cut healthcare costs, not to mention suffering, by 75%. And there are, you know, a few of you experts scattered around and about. What's going on? Well, we need to look a little bit at the kind of training that our professionals get. And I'm talking about training of people in my field, biomedical research, as well as training of medical doctors. The practitioners, and it turns out that in medical schools across the country, there's not a single medical school in the United States that really teaches nutrition really at all. Really, I mean, it might some might have a few lectures here and there, elective, if you will, 
but not it, nutrition is just off it's off the chart it's not taught and to a great extent in my community in the biomedical research community usually headed by the national institutes of health there they're the ones that provide the funding it's the largest most influential research agency in the world in the area of health they have 28 different institutes and there's not one called the institute of nutrition there's the, the cancer institute the heart institute and on down the line Nutrition just gets a meager amount of research support, and, and the training of doctors are not taught this subject, and so it raises the question. And that was the basis, in part, for the book Whole that I wrote. It raises the question, why not? What, what's the problem here? And I have come to the view, and I now have a fairly strong uh, point, uh, opinion about this, that when we talk about science, when we talk about medicine, we generally talk about individual events, individual chemicals, oftentimes let's say individual drugs or chemicals, or individual mechanisms by which they work, or individual outcomes or, or diseases, if you will. We, we talk in this, in this sort of very linear kind of way, in a very narrowly focused way, on one thing at a time. That's what I call reductionism. Others have, of course, used that word too. Uh, so the practice of medicine and the investigation of medical events in the research world is really largely focused on a very reductionist approach, taking one part out of a grand whole and making a big story about this one part as if it is the whole. And that could be very misleading. It accounts for the fact why all drugs have side effects. Most drugs, of course, as we know, they're foreign and you know they, they have ended up with unintended consequences and they often don't do the job anyhow except for maybe in the short term at best. And so... The doctors are not trained with this more holistic way of thinking about things, and that's what nutrition is. We cannot understand nutrition uh, thinking of only in a reduction sense. We can do research that way to some extent as long as we start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, of course, and kind of testing our hypotheses. But in reality, we, we just simply cannot talk about just these individual things. Now, there's something like... I just saw this recently. I think there's now 63,000 different kinds of identifiable different disease situations. So doctors can charge, you know, and get reimbursed for these various things. How can we have 63,000 different diseases? That's totally ridiculous. And in the same token, when we can't, we also can't use individual nutrients, as we have done in the nutrient supplement industry. We can't use individual nutrients either to accomplish what we really need to accomplish. And so now we have ample evidence that this reductionist approach really doesn't work. And we've made a lot of mistakes in the last several decades taking that approach. And what we need to do is to start thinking about the way nutrition works in a much more comprehensive way in which all this stuff works in this dynamic way and it's integrated within cells and within the body in these marvelous mm. ways that we actually call life. I mean, that's the way it works. That is so exciting, and I love hearing something so metaphysical from a scientist. Now, I have five questions here from people that they have sent in, and they're going to be really mad at me if we don't get to them. So I'm just going to zip, zip, zip with those questions. 
The first one is from Roman in uh, Toronto. Now, he wrote a much longer question, which I have emailed to you, but I'm just giving you the short version. And that is, he says, a friend of mine is on a paleo-style diet with a lot of meat and eggs, and he feels fantastic. He says it's a myth that cholesterol is bad for you. And he says it forks over knives, quote, manipulates the science. There is so much contradictory information out there. I feel powerless to comment on his choices. What would you tell Roman in Toronto? Well, what he's citing there is almost verse and chapter of a dialogue that's been promoted by a group who are strongly opposed to this whole food plant-based diet, especially headed by an organization in Washington, which happens to be an agricultural lobbying group for the livestock industry in large measure. I won't give their names here, but the, the point I want to make is that the so-called controversy to which he's referring on the web and the bad science, if, uh, I mean, I'd ask, I would ask him, how does he know what's bad science, um, first off? But the, the controversy that tends to exist on the Internet, I, I like the Internet. It's offered a lot of opportunities, but really the so-called experts to which this person refers, uh, the vast number, I'm going to say about 90 five percent of them at least are not experts they're not trained and they're not publishing in peer-reviewed literature in other words they're able to write and say anything they w- want to say on the internet and not be held accountable for what they're saying in the traditional more formal sort of professional communities when we say things we have to write them we have to submit it for review amongst our peers and so uh and we're held accountable for what we say we put it in writing there it is if somebody wants to disagree, they can. We can do it. We have a system. But on the Internet, that does not occur. And most of the people who are, are talking about these sort of matters, oftentimes fairly complex scientific ideas, they're just kind of, you know, expressing their own personal views. Or maybe their their uh, views that are conflicted or, or with maybe their businesses. And oh, that that's a good point. Let me just um, do a, a little addendum to the question, because this is something that has concerned me. There are people who eat in these different ways, paleo and this and that, and they really do claim that they feel so great, and they're not getting paid for this. This is just their subjective experience. So knowing that there is some biochemical individuality, I mean, obviously, One person can have a glass of wine and he's fine. Another person has a glass of wine and he has a lost weekend. So how much difference is there among human beings in terms of nutrition and what's good for us to eat? Well, of course, there's some individual variability. We all know that. But to speak in more general terms about the paleo type of diet, which incidentally is a low-carb diet, it's high in protein, high in fat. Um, And so when people sort of switch over to that from the traditional American diet, they'll see some gain off the times, maybe even lost some loss of weight, uh, because they're switching from a diet that is largely corrupted with refined carbohydrates, you know, sugars and too much fat and convenience foods and this kind of thing, so they'll see some benefit. The problem with that approach is that it cannot hold for the long term. It simply cannot hold for the long term. Um, I don't know of any evidence... And I've been, in fact, involved in a couple of debates with the chief promoter of this idea. I know of no evidence where the paleo diet or related diets has ever been used to, let's say, uh, 
people with illnesses like heart disease or diabetes and so forth, you can't put people on that kind of diet and actually see reversal and cure of the disease. There's no evidence. So it doesn't, it has, it's not able to actually do what we know the whole, fat, whole food plant-based diet could do first. Secondly, the so-called low-carb paleo type of diet, very high in protein, high in fat, all we need to do is look at people, the populations that are, let's say, on high-protein, high-fat diets and see what kind of outcomes they get. Across the board, these kind of populations that are living on that kind of diet are trending in that direction. They have higher rates of heart disease, higher rates of cancers, and higher rates of the traditional diseases that we tend to see in the West. So I'm really strongly opposed, actually, to the so-called low-carb diets, paleo being one of them. It's just high in protein, high in fat. It's going to cause all kinds of problems. And we have now lots of evidence to show that when people go on these high-protein diets, they're actually diminishing their consumption of antioxidants that are present in plants and complex carbohydrates only present in plants. And so they're getting a double whammy. First, they're getting the damage occurred coming from the fat and the protein, and then they're also basically displacing the the kind of nutrients, in fact, that really do the good things, especially with the antioxidants. Well, I hope that Roman can copy this and and play it for his friend, (laughs) because thank you. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer, beautiful explanation that's very understandable. Now, the next question comes from Christine, and again, her question was long, and I emailed that to you. But in a nutshell, she's asking if you could recommend different degrees or careers that students can pursue to most effectively dispel myths about plant-based nutrition. She says that she has an undergraduate degree in biology and neuroscience, recently earned a master's degree in public health, and she did complete the uh, online certificate in plant-based nutrition that you offer, and now she's considering another master's, this time in human nutrition, and she wants to know if you think it would be worthwhile or if additional personal research and education would suffice. Well, I'm... Obviously, I'm, I'm you know, a prisoner of my own thoughts and my own experiences, I guess you could say, and therefore somewhat prejudiced, I, I, I suppose. But uh, I've been asked this kind of question by many, many people, and it's been difficult questions to answer. I can only tell from my own journey uh, how I sort of came to know this, and that was working through the scientific world and being in biochemistry in particular, but, you know, doing very fundamental kinds of things and learning something at the very fundamental level. So I would suggest that a degree in nutritional biochemistry or its equivalent, whether it's a master's or PhD, if they really want to get an in-depth understanding of this field, that's really very helpful because I think that this field is going to be survived and be sustained only uh, if the science is good. I think you said that she mentioned something about the possibility of going into uh, maybe a more practical nutrition education area. That's also quite good. Uh, but uh, I would suggest to keep her ear to the ground and, you know, as far as the fundamental uh, scientific evidence is concerned, know how it's produced and how it's published and how it's interpreted. That's really, very important. But uh, obviously there's also a great deal of room for people like her to go out to the public and represent this to uh, to the public in, in, in good educational ways. Yes. So well, they can get degrees in nutrition education, for example. Such thank you. Or such programs, yeah. 
Great. Thanks for the question, Christine, and, and good luck. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know how many more letters you get after your name. It sounds like you're one smart lady. Now, this question, and we only have five minutes left, is from Fran in response to a New York Times article that came out a couple of days ago about how cruciferous vegetables, kale in particular, the great god kale, that people wear T-shirts that say only kale can save us now, but even kale <laughs> evidently is not perfect. This article talks about it's predisposing people to thyroid disease. Uh, Fran commented that Anne-Marie Coleman at the Natural Gourmet Cooking School, who had a, a macrobiotic background, warned her students about crucifers over 20 years ago, and she wants to know, Dr. Campbell, where do you stand on this? Well, I saw that article, too, and I, I would suggest that it's a really a very weak article in, in one way. Uh, they're focusing on some basic research has been done with certain chemicals as found in cruciferous vegetables. That research having been done in the test tube and, and so forth, looking at things, as I said before, in a very reductionist way. And, and, and uh, oftentimes that kind of research does not, is not relevant, you know, to, let's say, the whole food. Now, the whole food in this case, we're, is in this case, we're talking about kale. Uh, and I think kale is just a wonderful food. Other kinds of green leafy vegetables like that, too, can do the same thing. Um, in that article, I noticed that they refer to one individual who apparently was consuming enormous amounts of kale and ended up with a pretty serious problem with the, the, with the hypothyroidism uh, and a couple of other people, too. But these are, gosh, it's, these are just a, a, a very few number of people. If, if, that, if people are using kale like that with, you know, way overboard, uh, in some cases, if they have a predisposition for having a thyroid problem, uh, then, yes, I could see maybe that happening from time to time. But this should not in any way um, really affect people's interest in using the green leafy vegetables such as kale. I mean, kale is a very good food. And I, I just, uh, I mean, we can always when you overdo things. A person here, a person there might experience some kind of problems uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and we, I guess, can be on the watch for that. But on the other hand, this food, this kind of food is really, really very good, along with spinach and Swiss chard and collard greens and so forth and so on. It's just wonderful food. Great. A uh, quick question. If you have to pick the villain, the biggest villain of the macronutrients, is it going to be animal protein, fat, yes. or sugar? I would say animal protein. It's hard to answer. That's a tough question. You know, a couple of baddies. Yeah, I'll give I mean, you a Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the sugar that you just referred to, I mean, that's, uh, that's, again, a very reductionist way. We're taking the sugar out of the plant, refining it as sucrose for the most part, and it's, it's being consumed totally out of the context of the whole plant. It, it just causes problems. That's very clear. Um, the animal protein question is more related to our almost worship of that nutrient over the years uh, to a point where we tend to always want to, we, we've assumed that protein is, is basically animal-based, and that distorts our choices of the diets we, we do. And so the animal protein itself has the ability to turn on cancer. It's very dramatic, and it's, uh, it's been well established from a really fundamental biochemical level as well. 
And you have been so instrumental in establishing that. I love reading about your history, and this is one of the great things that you can learn if you do take the plant-based nutrition certification course. You learn in, in detail where Dr. Campbell's research started and, and how this man goes from trying to figure out how to get more animal protein into people to all of, of this um revelation about the problems with animal protein. You have done so much for the world and so much left to do. So anyone who is interested in the course, uh, what is the best website, Dr. Campbell? Was nutritionstudies.org. Okay, nutritionstudies.org. Take the course. It's online. You can do it at your own convenience. You'll be a lot smarter when you finish Thank you so very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your work. Bless you. Well, well I, I do really appreciate you having me on. You're doing great work yourself, and uh, we'll work together thanks. to change the world. That's what we're trying to do. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. 
Call in with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. The Great Forgetting. That's what some call this time in which we are living. It is a time when we have become so youth-obsessed and age-averse that the wisdom and experience of our elders is being marginalized and in too many cases lost. Each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time, George and Sedina Campanelli, co-founders of Age Nation and co-authors of the award-winning Do Not Go Quietly, Talk with some of the leading wisdom keepers of our time about how we can use this precious gift called our lives to create a more sane, sustainable, conscious, and loving world. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central on Do Not Go Quietly, Conversations with the Wisdom Keepers, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts. 